Alright, let me read from Isaiah 40 and then I'll uh, open in prayer. Isaiah chapter 40 uh, and starting in verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall, shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up on a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not, say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently, tend, and gently lead those who are with the young. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of knowledge, and taught him uh, knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness compare with him? An idol, a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know... Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understand from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither, and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? 
Have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary, his understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted, but they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles, they shall run and not be weary, they shall walk and not faint. Lord God, we thank you uh, for the the comfort that you have for us. Um, As this verse says, Lord, comfort my people. Uh, Lord, I pray that uh, as you, uh, as, as I speak this morning, that you would speak through me and, and comfort these, your people, uh, that they would see who you are and, uh, and be comforted by the gospel and by the grace that you have shown us in Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. I want to start this morning by talking about living on the moon. I guess it's kind of a staple of science fiction, isn't it, that there's sort of a, a permanent uh, permanent human colony or, or base living on the moon, um, even something that you hear periodically that big space agencies of the world talk about wanting to make a base on the moon. Um, now, I don't know whether that's a good idea or not. I think there's probably arguments to go either ways and it's got very little to do with me anyway but it strikes me that if you think about living on the moon no matter how long you live there surely you can't ever really feel like home <coughs> uh, i mean how could it when there's uh, no atmosphere for you to breathe or uh, no source of water thanks hans source of water source of water <laughs> Uh, No source of water to sustain life. Uh, No food that hasn't come from earth. Like, how could you have a home in this place that's so uh, contrary to supporting human life? And the reason I bring this up is that it's quite similar to the way that that the Bible talks about how we as Christians live in the world. We live here in this world permanently uh, for life, of course, but it's not our home. Uh, spiritually speaking, we, we live on a planet that's not sustainable, that doesn't sustain life. <clears throat> our spiritual food comes from heaven, doesn't it? In Jesus, our bread of life. Our, our spiritual nourishment doesn't originate here on earth. Spiritually speaking, you could say the atmosphere of this earth is trying to kill us. Um, if you talk, like, if you're talking about the cultural, spiritual atmosphere of this world, it, it's got no oxygen. It's it's not going to sustain life. It's suffocating the spiritual life out of us, if that were possible. This world is not our home. We don't belong here. Uh, the Bible uses the language of strangers or aliens or exiles on the earth. Uh, in fact, if uh, in Peter one, First Peter one and two, Peter uses that, that exact terminology three times, 
Uh, he says, you are strangers, exiles, foreigners on earth, chosen by God to live as foreigners in a world that can't support spiritual life. If you're a Christian this morning, that's who you are. That's who you are in this world. You are an exile. You are loved and chosen by God. You are destined to live with him and glorify him forever. And you are an exile a long way from your heavenly home. And you can't go home in this life. This language of exile um, comes from the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament we see the people of Israel lived for 70 years in what we now call the Babylonian exile. They were exiled from their land and taken off to Babylon, a pagan city which basically sought to snuff out their worship of the true God. That Exile is the background which, uh, which gives us this chapter in Isaiah. In fact, the rest of Isaiah from here on. Uh, Steve last week gave us an overview of Isaiah 1 to 39, um, and you might remember that ended with the prophecy uh, of, at, at the end of chapter 39, Isaiah said, you guys are going to go off into exile in Babylon. And so from here on out in the book of Isaiah, that Babylonian exile is taken as a sort of foregone conclusion. Um, and Isaiah now shifts his attention from, from, that, uh, from his own day to talking to these people in exile. And he addresses the question of, you know, what does it mean for us as God's people in exile? What, what should we believe about God, about ourselves, about uh, our place in the world if we're called by God to live in a place that we don't belong? And so starting here in verse 1 of chapter 40, God told Isaiah to give his people a word of comfort and hope while they were in exile. <clears throat> Uh, The first 11 verses of this passage I've um, headed uh, the comfort of our Saviour and that uh, is essentially the introduction to the rest of this second half of the book. It's uh, it's the focus of this passage. It sets up everything that will follow in the book um, and we're going to spend probably most of our time in these first 11 verses. Now again, this wasn't written down just for the Jews of of, of that exile. But given that we're also in exile, as the New Testament says, this word of comfort is for us too. For all tired and weary Christians who realise that they don't belong in this world, who long to be with God in heaven, if that describes you, then this passage is for you. The comfort of our Saviour. Let's start by reading the first two verses. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. 
this message of comfort starts with this tender, emotive message of hope um, that the punishment of the Jews was completely done. Her warfare, her hardship, her hard service uh, is ended. Um, the image is, is like uh, in, um, I guess, uh, centuries past where they would send uh, criminals off into, into hard service. You know, they might send them into a mine or something like that to break rocks for a period of time. But by the end of that, God says, your hard service is ended. The sentence is complete. Uh, her iniquity is pardoned. Her record wiped clean. She is received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Uh, now that's not to say God punished her too much. Um, it probably means that the punishment is the exact double, uh, as in the perfect match. One plus the exact match makes double. Um, you know, like if you fold a piece of paper in half, you get one half that matches the other half and the top half covers the other half. The, the God's, uh, what God has given to Israel has covered that sin as an exact match. Uh, let's look at verses 6 to 8 next. A voice says cry and I said what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and its beauty like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Uh, this comfort here uh, is that God's word is eternal. Um, if you think about a promise that someone makes you, uh, that promise is only as, as permanent as the person is, isn't it? Um, you know, if they, uh, if they die, the promise is not really worth much. And Isaiah says, uh, people are as permanent as grass in the scorching summer heat. As soon as the scorching summer sun uh, shines and the north winds come, uh, green grass goes brown and dies. Uh, you farmers know this uh, as well as anyone. How much of your time do you spend making sure there's green grass for your, for your stock to graze on? The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. When God promises that he won't abandon his people, you can bank on that because, God's, because God never lies and God never dies. Uh, let me uh, look, at, uh, look with me at uh, verses 3 to 5 and 9 to 11. Uh, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places are plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Uh, verse 9, go up on a mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. And this grand preparation taking place uh, as the excitement builds in this, these verses. Uh, the announcement is going out, a grand proclamation going out nationwide. 
there's anticipation here, attention. Uh, something amazing is about to happen. And uh, what, what is it that's about to happen? Isaiah says, Behold your God. Behold the Lord God comes. He comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. These verses, I think, form the crux or the climax of this message of comfort. Behold your God. In, that, in other words, look, see your amazing God. He's coming. He's coming to save his people, Isaiah says. This is God's message of comfort to you. I am coming to save. I am coming, God says, as your king, a mighty warrior to save you. I am coming as your shepherd, a tender-hearted shepherd who will lead and care for you. I am coming to save. And of course, the New Testament tells us in no uncertain terms that this is talking about Jesus. John the Baptist came onto the scene, as all the gospel writers tell us, uh, as that voice in the wilderness, crying, prepare the way of the Lord. And then the Lord comes, doesn't he? Jesus comes, Emmanuel, God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus is the mighty king uh, who would save his people uh, by his mighty hand. Jesus is our tender shepherd. Uh, He is our God who has come to us. Our, Our mighty warrior king, our tender, caring tender-hearted shepherd now if you get nothing else from this sermon this morning i want you to hear this behold your god jesus christ he has come to us his people as our savior he has come like a mighty king dressed in glorious armor with a great royal scepter he fought for us he won the victory he rose from the grave And he has come like a tender, caring shepherd. I am the good shepherd, he said, and this is how much I love and care for you, that I lay down my life for the sheep. Behold your God, Jesus, our mighty King, our tender shepherd. He has come to win our salvation. He is coming again, coming soon, to bring us into the full enjoyment of our salvation. Jesus is the key, the focus, the message of comfort that Isaiah proclaimed. As God's people, our comfort is found in the coming of our Saviour Jesus Christ. And indeed we can see that as well if we look back over the previous verses. In verse 2, our punishment is fully paid in Jesus. The punishment, of course, that we deserve for our sin is death. From the beginning of creation, God said, if you sin, if you disregard my my commands and uh, if if you disobey my word, you will die. And ever since Adam, 
That's all we've been doing. Sinning, disregarding and disobeying God, racking up this penalty of death over and over and over. But Jesus died on the cross and all our punishment was fully paid in his death so that we can go free and live. Your iniquity is pardoned in Jesus. Uh, In verse 8, Isaiah says, The word of our God will stand forever. And this is the assurance that we have in Jesus. All the promises that God has made, uh, Paul says, find their yes in him. And those promises will never fail. As God's people, our comfort is found in the coming of our salvation through Jesus. That's the message of this comfort. That's the, the, the comfort that God gives to us today. If you believe that, then this world is not your home, as I said, but Jesus is your saviour and your comfort. Now, the rest of the passage uh, then forms, I guess, two supporting points um, under that, that sort of main uh, message of comfort. <clears throat> uh, God addresses now two temptations we might face if, uh, 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 in doubting his comfort for us. Uh, the temptation to look for comfort elsewhere and the temptation to doubt the goodness of God. Or to put it positively, as you see in your bulletins, um, after giving us the comfort of our Saviour, uh, God assures us of the uniqueness of our Saviour and the kindness of our Saviour. All right, so let's look at the uniqueness of our Saviour, verses 12 to 26. Now, the point here, I guess, is that we have nothing to gain and and really everything to lose if we look for comfort and salvation uh, and hope anywhere else other than in Jesus. Um, To make that point, God raises up a a series of things that we might be tempted to look to uh, or to fear more than God. Um, so in, in verses 12 to 14, the point is, the focus is on God, is on, sorry, the focus is on great people. Could any sort of person be a match for God? Well, God says, consider this. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult, and who made him understand? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Everybody show me your hands. Put them together in in a cup shape like this. How much water do you reckon you could fit in there? Maybe a couple of hundred mils. Yeah? Isaiah says, what about the entire ocean? Who could fit that in their hands? Or stretch out your hand as far as it could go. How far across is that? Maybe 15, 20, 25 centimetres. What about the entire universe? Think about your biggest measuring bowl at home. Uh, How would you go trying to fit every grain of sand, every speck of dust, every clod of dirt from the entire world into one measuring bowl? 
or your bathroom scales, trying to measure the weight of all the mountains and hills in the earth. How would you go? No human being could ever be a match for God. He is infinitely bigger than us, infinitely wiser than us. No human could come up with a definition of wisdom from scratch. Uh, No human could devise justice that could satisfactorily govern all of humanity. But God can and he has. No human could plan out uh, all of history from beginning to end, uh, from big events to the smallest details, but God can and does and has. Uh, in verse 15, then, he moves on from individuals to entire nations. Uh, and, he, and God says through Isaiah, Behold, the nations are accounted as a drop from a bucket and accounted as the dust on the scales. Think about it. If you're trying to measure a great big tub of water, what's a couple of drops here and there? Or if you're trying to weigh a sack of potatoes, right? what difference is a few specks of dust on the scales going to make? Oh, well, says God, you know, what's a country here or there? All the nations are as nothing before him, verse 17. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. We should neither trust nor fear any humans. Our temptation, I guess, is always going to be to think of people too much. Um, You know... uh, That's what we see. We see people. We see the world around us. It's before our eyes day by day. Uh, And especially in in our modern world where we've got social media, traditional media, uh, you know, mainstream or fringe media, it's all got this one fundamental flaw that it's about people. Now, I'm preaching to myself here too. I'm constantly checking the news on my phone, but... It gives us no sense of God's perspective on the world, does it? We listen to the world around us. We think that people and nations are everything. But God says, eh, not that big of a deal. Russia is nothing. China is nothing. America is nothing. Australia is nothing. The biggest stories of the news at the moment, Russia's invasion of of Ukraine that we hear so much about, the federal election coming up that's dominating our news at the moment, it seems like everything. Now, I'm not saying these things aren't important or that God doesn't care about them. God cares about every detail of our lives. Uh, And, of course, he he cares about these things that impact the entire world. But Isaiah gives us that perspective of... Uh, in verse 17 there, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. <clears throat> Don't fall into the trap of thinking about people too much. Don't put your hope in people. Don't be afraid of people. <clears throat> we need a heavenly perspective on human power and wisdom. Uh, Verses 18 to 20, 
Uh, the question is, could any idol be a match for God? And the answer, of course, is a resounding no. Idols are made by human hands, but God is the maker of the entire universe. Everything that is called a God in our world is a pale imitation of the true God. Um, I guess in, in the Western culture, you know, you know, we don't necessarily see idols as little statues like Isaiah is thinking about when he describes uh, in verse uh, 19 and 20. Um, maybe other cultures around the world do have those sorts of things, but uh, there are still plenty of things that are called gods in our Western culture. Um, sometimes people call great, uh, successful people in the world uh, gods in their field or uh, or great leaders or, or even fictional story characters. But they are nothing but a fiction, a construct of people's imagination, a pale imitation of the true creator of the universe. No ruler has any power other than what God allows. No human has any permanency other than the grace of God. God has no rivals. He alone is our mighty warrior king. Jesus is our king. That is the uniqueness of our saviour. From there in verse 27, God uh, turns to the other uh, temptation that we might face to doubt the kindness of God. And he says we can trust him because of his kindness towards us. Uh, Isaiah says God's kindness is seen in this. God is eternal. He has always existed and he will always continue to exist. And he has no beginning. He has no end. He has no need of anyone to sustain him. And, his et- in, and in his eternality and div- almighty power, he provides the weak with strength and endurance. He gives power to the faint, says verse 29, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall run, shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall and be exhausted. Some of you look at the, the young people around and boundless energy. But it runs out eventually. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Those who are weak and burdened uh, with all that life throws at us can find strength in God. He delights to give strength and power so that his people can endure through hardship. Uh, Paul said that in his famous verse, didn't he? I can do all things uh, through, th- through Christ who gives me strength. You know, that's often quoted as evidence that people can do amazing things like record, break records at sports or, uh, or music or academia or money making or whatever. But that's not at all what Paul had in mind. He was referring to something much harder than achieving worldly success when paul said i can do all things he meant that he can endure through loss and poverty sickness absolute destitution 
Paul says, I can do all things, meaning I can continue in spite of anything that life throws at me because Christ Jesus gives me strength. Now, I wonder if you really feel that that's true. I think most Christians don't really feel like they experience that. I certainly don't feel like I experience that all the time. I know the temptation to doubt that. And if you look at verse 27 there, you'll see that the Jews that Isaiah was speaking to didn't really feel like they experienced that either. They felt like God had abandoned them. They felt like so many of us do, overburdened, overwhelmed, burnt out, depressed, lost, lonely, homesick. They would have been just like you and I, overworked employees, struggling with unreasonable demands, exhausted mothers, drained by the constant and ever-changing pressures of raising kids, overwhelmed fathers trying to carry the weight of the world on their shoulders, burned-out ministry leaders feeling like they have to do it all and yet feeling like they're achieving nothing. Utterly spent, our elderly citizens wondering why on earth God hasn't called them home yet. Sometimes we feel like that even if we are trusting in God. Uh, Now, there are plenty of reasons why you might feel that way and, and a lot of them have to do with trusting in the wrong things. But even if you are trusting in God, you may feel overwhelmed and burnt out. And if you feel that way, it's not necessarily because you're trusting in the wrong things or doing something wrong. It's certainly not because God's promises aren't true. Feeling overwhelmed, overburdened, burnt out, depressed, lost, lonely and homesick are all things that Christians feel. They're all things that are part of the Christian life. They're all things that Jesus felt to one degree or another. And it is in the midst of those things that God gives us strength. Not necessarily strength to rise above life. Not strength that that takes away all the feelings of weariness or sadness or the things that might cause those feelings. But strength that holds us through those feelings. Strength which pushes us on. Strength to endure until the end. Strength to run the race before us and strength that endures we won't faint with exhaustion before the finish. Strength that carried Jesus and carries us through the gates of heaven. Strength so that we can run until the day we collapse into his arms. The arms of our Father who will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your master. Strength that sustains us until we enter into that never-ending rest. The operative word there in verse 31 is wait. Wait for the Lord. Strength doesn't come in the way that we want. Rest doesn't come in the time frame that we would like. 
God calls us to wait and look long term. He will provide the strength that we need to endure, to press on. And after we have endured, he will give us eternal rest. That is the kindness of our Saviour. So there is deep comfort here for weary and homesick Christians. Jesus is our mighty king, our tender-hearted shepherd. He has paid the penalty for our sin. He has brought the eternal promises of God to us. There is none like him, infinitely great and powerful, endlessly tender-hearted and caring. O Christian brother, sister, Exile, loved and chosen by God, hear the comforting words that he is speaking to you. Behold your God, your saviour, your king, your shepherd, Jesus Christ. Let's pray to him. Lord God, you are our comfort and our hope and our help in this life. Uh, Lord, we look to you Uh, as we journey on uh, in this world where we are pilgrims, as we run the race that you have set before us. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for the words of Isaiah that uh, you spoke to your people, that you uh, loved us enough to send these words of comfort to us. And not just to send words of comfort, Lord, but to come yourself as our saviour and our king and our shepherd to mightily and tenderly help and care for us. We pray that we would uh, remember this comfort and assurance in Jesus' name. Amen.